Beth Wee here. I want to tell you about a guy I know named Patrick. Patrick was smoking pot around the clock and his life was circling the drain. Normally a great student, Patrick had dropped out of college because he wasn't doing the work and his grades in every class one semester would have gotten him kicked out. He planned to use the three months that he had left on that dumped semester to work more and save some money for classes next semester. He was going to get back to the gym and take care of his body and try to get a better car or have some work done on the old one that he was driving. Patrick was a waiter at a barbecue joint and most of the people he worked with liked to party. It was easy to get off work and hang out. Then he'd sleep late and eat fast food instead of cooking at home. If he didn't feel like driving, he'd call Bite Squad and hope the cute chick with the blue Honda was delivering. He always tipped her more because yeah, he liked when she delivered. This was just normal life for a while, and he was glad he got the break from school. It had become kind of a grind. One day, Patrick pulled out his, commute, his computer and checked his email inbox. You know, once he had given up playing Call of Duty, he hadn't really logged on very much. Most of it was junk, and there was an email or two from the college, and he promised he would open them up in a little bit. He hit the bowl, cracked a youngling, and clicked into Twitter so he could look up girls that he knew from when he was in high school. Some of them had gotten pretty hot. So the restaurant always had a good dinner rush, and the money was okay. He could easily make his rent and his gas. The weed connection was good, and because he was a good customer, he usually got a pretty good bite, a pretty good price. I guess the bite squad girl must have moved on because now Patrick always got the old guy in the ball cap when he called for a meal. But he was saving a few bucks on tips, so he dealt with it. Life was rolling until that day. He freaked out on a Friday night in January. He got off work earlier than most of the crew, and he just wanted to chill at home, so he didn't go to the bar. He had a new bag of bud, and he would do fine at home. He swung through Wendy's drive through so he wouldn't have to wait for food or pay the tip. So what made him freak out? After smoking a bit and eating a bunch, he opened his laptop and realized he had missed registration for classes. Again. Worse. They started this Monday, and he didn't have enough money saved for tuition, much less the books. You know, sitting there, he saw his reflection in the laptop screen, and he realized he wasn't a college student with loads of potential anymore. He was a pothead and a waiter that lived paycheck to paycheck and never did what he said he was going to do. Patrick was looking at a loser. That was almost three years ago. Today, he was just afraid. He wasn't sure what was going to happen, but he knew he couldn't put the beer and the bud down on his own. Six months trying to, to, to put it down alone proved it to him. So tonight, he made a big decision. He decided to wander into a 12-step clubhouse and take a seat. He wondered if anybody there could smell the beer on his breath. He only had a couple, but he couldn't even leave the house anymore without at least a couple. Patrick sat there, and he watched as a woman tell this group of strangers about her innermost thoughts and raunchiest behaviors. She didn't stumble over her words at all, 
but there was a point where she got tears in her eyes when she talked about losing her husband and kids. But she kept talking anyway. Then she said something that Patrick couldn't believe. She said that she hadn't had a drink or a drug in three years. When she finished, everybody clapped. Then other people spoke up about similar feelings and how they got through them. They were talking about the same stuff Patrick did that made him feel so crappy about himself. Some of them were laughing as they retold the horror stories, too. They were like weren't ashamed. They were free from the shame that had him so tied down and bound to his broken lifestyle where he always ended up losing. What was it that allowed them to share so openly whatever it was? Patrick wanted some of it. It seemed to be like a magic elixir. It had something to do with recovering. It cut the ties that held these people to their past failures, and it allowed them to step out of them and over them and start new lives. These people were vulnerable, and that had changed them. So what is vulnerability? If you look it up online, the definition says it's uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. If you look it up in a dictionary or book, it says capable of being physically or emotionally wounded, and two, open to attack or damage. It sounds kind of frightening, and not something most people would look at as a gift. But those who know vulnerability by experience know it is way more. Brene Brown says that vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. That's a quote I use all the time because it's really important to know. Birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. Patrick wanted to allow vulnerability back into his life, but he wasn't sure he could do it. How about you? I think there are three reasons we avoid being vulnerable. Sometimes we struggle to let people in because it's our nature. We were just born that way. Sometimes it's a result of our familial relationships or our childhood. We learned to be that way. And sometimes it's the result of letting our guard down in the past and having our hearts broken. So we decided to be that way. If you've built up a tough shell around your heart and worry about allowing it to crack open just a little bit to let another person in, it's bound to have a negative effect on your life. You're going to have to live relationship free or at least never know intimacy. You've become the candy around the Tootsie Roll Center. (laughs) How can anybody be sure that you have chocolate inside? When others don't struggle with being emotionally vulnerable, they can find it hard to understand why they can't get through to you, especially if they have feelings for you. I'm not just talking about romantic feelings. Even friends have feelings for each other. Even at work, isn't there somebody you prefer to be around because they just seem closer to you? 
a lot of us struggle with vulnerability because in our minds, it's the same thing as weakness. We think that if we allow someone an insight into our insecurities or our sensitive spots, they're going to somehow think we're less of a person. You know, we believe we're going to lose respect or, or get judged or open ourselves up for attack. Somebody's going to hurt us again. So we share surface details about ourselves, inconsequential things like what's my favorite band or where would I like to travel to, but we clam up when serious issues are raised. Stuff like how we've been hurt in the past and fears about being hurt in the future. Maybe times when somebody close to us betrayed us or neglected us. Situations we remember when we were placed on the outside, when we wanted to be on the inside with that person we wanted to be close to. Everybody listening has wanted intimacy at some time or another, but a lot of us will settle for respect. So we put on a front and we act like we're this strong person. And we earn respect. It's all about us, what we do. We don't realize that when someone is trying to care about us, they'll know that they're not getting the genuine article. They won't be attracted or engaged. The strong person is like a brick wall. It's not very welcoming. If you've had this problem in previous relationships or you're currently experiencing troubles, it's time to know what Patrick found out that day in that 12-step clubhouse. Showing emotional vulnerability changes lives. Think about it. Showing your vulnerability can change your life. Where does it come from, this vulnerability? And why are we afraid of it? Remember what I said earlier, nature, nurture, personal imposition. Not everybody who teaches on vulnerability believes that it can be inborn, but I do. As I experience this life and learn more about the higher power and other human beings and our condition, I must admit that I'm awestruck by the simple truth that there is a nature of things and that there really is something called human nature. And what we share as human beings could be part and parcel of everybody in our species because we have a nature. So think back to your elementary school classes. What made humans different than other animals on Earth? You know, we hunted and gathered to eat. We could forge and use tools. Uh, we could create secure domiciles and weapons to fight predators. We developed ways to control fire and use it to our advantage. You ready for the big one? We lived in tribes that worked together. I remember learning that in elementary school. We lived in tribes that worked together. These aptitudes separated us from the other species on the planet. We lived in tribes that worked together. The main parts of human nature, 
I believe skills, knowledge, behavior, feeding, sex, communication. At least that's what I learned in school. But where does this fit in? Should I tell someone my secret? After all, it's human nature to gossip. Have you ever heard that line? It describes two different parts of the nature of human communication, the telling of our story and the retelling of the story by somebody else. Either we can be upset and feel that someone gossiped about us, or we can be proud that people are talking about us because it makes us feel important. Every species on this planet will be true to their nature. I believe that fearing vulnerability can be traced back to some of these most primal instincts. Can you go there with me for a minute? I know it sounds like a bad science discussion, but the fact that some people avoid being vulnerable is killing them. The survival skill that they were given is killing them. And I think that's a response to nature. You know, we talk a lot about nurture. That's probably one of the most common places that we've learned to avoid being vulnerable. It may be, it may be, maybe it looks like a safe way to live. But hear me on this. Without vulnerability, you will never have intimacy. And if you don't have intimacy, you will never face your true self. Your true self is the one that's going to change your life. Allow it. Allow vulnerability. So many of us grew up in households where we weren't supposed to air our dirty laundry to outsiders. You know, protect the family's reputation at all costs. But this is where shame is born, and I'm sorry if you experienced that. But when you refuse to be vulnerable, you're choosing to carry on with that shame. Patrick had a decision to make that day in that 12-step clubhouse. Was he going to let people know what his story was really like? If he didn't, he would drag that shame, that history with him, everywhere he went for the rest of his life. The decision to avoid vulnerability he might have learned it in his home, maybe from the nurture model of the behavior we were talking about, but he could break it if he wanted to. That's the last one. Some of us escape the natural call to hold everything in and grow up in homes where to make mistakes and show our underbellies was allowed. How did we develop the drive to escape vulnerability if we grew up like that? Usually we chose it. Maybe we had an experience that made us feel unsafe. Maybe we were bullied. Maybe the one true love of our life cheated on us. Maybe we were robbed at gunpoint. Maybe it was that buddy that was crashing on our couch that ripped us off. Whatever the experience, it caused us to put on emotional armor and to march through life as a soldier, sleeping with one eye open and trusting no one. This is brokenness, guys, and it comes from personal imposition. We chose it as a form of protection. 
that defensive breastplate we're wearing is keeping our hearts safe? No, it's keeping our hearts isolated. So what are we supposed to do? What is Patrick supposed to do? If you're listening to this podcast and you find yourself identifying with Patrick and others like him, I invite you to hit your bottom. Let it be enough. You do not have to limbo any lower. Actually, when you hit bottom, you win the limbo game of life. Reach out for help. Everybody thinks marijuana is no big deal. It's robbing us of the potential of our future country, of our future society, of our future world. It's not just that. It's any compulsive behavior that separates you from your true self, from others, and from God. Let it be enough. Reach out for help. You know, two places to go, aa.org or na.org. They have a lot of resources there for you. Poke around the recovering.com website. We have a lot of resources and we're adding more all the time. But most of all, don't go it alone. You think your behavior is not affecting anybody but you? You are so wrong. We all lose out when you choose to sacrifice your potential on the altar of addiction. Enough already. Reach out for help. You're not alone. It's time to take addiction out of the shadows and shine the encouraging light of recovery on everyone affected. Good Seed Podcast is powered by BethWE.com, a nonprofit ministry based in Vero Beach, Florida. We'll start the uncomfortable conversations that turn despair into hope and complacency into action. Connect, communicate, and thrive with us. Check us out online at BethWE.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk again soon.